Hey, Anchor Point family, welcome to our online service for Sunday, February the 7th, 2021. Um, we're super glad to have you here. We want to give a huge shout out to anybody who might be joining us for the first time today. Um, we would love to hear from you guys, so check us out on our website. Link is in the description. Uh, you can connect with us there. My name is Jonathan Burnett. I've been coming to Anchor Point for about two years now, and I've just been so insanely blessed by the family that God has put me in. I'm so grateful to be here. Um, we, Anchor Point, would like to thank everybody who has been faithfully giving at this time, and remind everyone that since we're not really having like regular Sunday services, you can continue to give by e-transferring um, to giving at apalliston.com. Anyway, hope you enjoy the sermon. Much love. Miss you guys a ton. Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 22, one in Christ. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Hey, good morning guys. How's it going? My name is Tom if I've not met you and I'm so pleased and happy that you're here with us this morning. And we are going to be continuing on in our All Things New series where we're looking at the book of Ephesians. And today we're actually going to be wrapping up chapter two. And I'm very in, excited and encouraged and hopeful about taking communion together at the end of our time of learning in, in our respective homes. And um, I'm trusting God wants to do something beautiful, even though we can't gather in person like we would love to and are longing for. And so we're, I'm really happy, whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for being here with us. And we're going to um, be looking at the multidimensional gospel this morning. It doesn't just stop with my own personal salvation, that there's something much more and bigger that uh, Paul is getting at here as we learn what the gospel is, who Jesus is, what he's done for us and how that plays into this whole idea of a new humanity being formed in Christ. 
I want to give us some background as we have just heard Leah read these these words to us. Sometimes it's easy to kind of forget the context into which they were written, um, what's happening in the world at that time. You know, we live quite distant from, you know, first century Ephesus. And so what's going on there? What is the, the context like? What is the cultural climate? And um, Paul, the guy who's writing these words, is a church planner in the first century. So Jesus has come, walked the earth fairly recently for Paul, and he came and preached and talked about the kingdom, healed people, did all kinds of incredible things, uh, was crucified, raised, you know, resurrected, and then ascended to heaven. And then he had these apostles, these sent ones that were filled with the Holy Spirit to go and preach the good news of the gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And we see these Jesus communities forming all around um, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and you know, spreading out to the ends of the earth. And how this happened was Paul, every time he would go to a new city, he would do two things. The first thing he would do is ask, okay, where do the Jews worship? Where's the synagogue? And he would go and he would open the Old Testament scriptures and he would talk to them about, oh, no, Jesus is actually the Messiah that was prophesied, you know, thousands of years ago. And, you know, when we read Daniel and we read Isaiah, and then he was able to, to bring many people into faith in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah that way. And they would become part of these Jesus communities. But also he would go and he would ask, where do, where do the Gentiles hang out? And he would go and he would speak to them in terms they would understand and use different uh, analogies and ways to communicate the good news of Jesus to them in the same way. And what he would do is when those people would come to faith, he would put them in one community. He wouldn't say, I'm going to start a Jewish, you know, an old Jewish church and a Gentile church. It was like, no, there's a new thing that God's doing and they're together. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So that context, what was it like beforehand? It, it, like we can hear that and be like, oh, cool. They got along great. And that's not that big of a deal. But you see that Paul was so convinced that the good news of what Jesus had done could unite even the most polarized of people groups. That the gospel speaks of the hope of something bigger and better than our endless desire as human beings and our broken, sinful nature to perpetuate this ideology of us and them. Of I'm in and you're out. And the, the greatest joy of being in often in our broken humanity is to keep others out. And the gospel does away with that. And so there's this massive sense of us and them in the culture into which Paul was planting these churches. And so it's important for us to grasp that sense of alienation and hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles in this time. We're talking like oil and water here, folks. It's not like, oh, they, they, you know, they didn't like the same sports team, so they would kind of like joke around about it and rib each other. It was like, we do not mix. And this is from um, my commentary by uh, John Stott that I have been using. Just I'm going to read a couple of things here. So the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile at this time. Um, they, they said the Gentiles were literally created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. Uh, God, they said, only loves Israel of all the nations he has made. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. For that, that would simply mean that you're bringing another Gentile into the world. Like legit contempt and hatred. They would, uh, if a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, they would have a funeral for the Jewish boy because he was as good as dead. You know, something more recent in our memory may be something like, you know, the, the civil rights movement or, or the racism that was experienced in the in America, in the South. You know, we visited Montgomery, Alabama two years ago and we were able to, to kind of walk where Martin Luther King walked and you, we'd go into 
like the old train station, they have a colored bathroom and a white bathroom. It was it was something akin to that. There was a, a massive distaste and a and a like we don't even want to be around. The Jews didn't even want to be around the Gentiles. They thought them less than. I'm going to read a bit more of this commentary, so just bear with me here. Of this double Gentile alienation from God and from God's people, Israel, the so-called middle wall of partition or dividing wall of hostility was the standing symbol. And you just heard Lee read that to us about the whole wall of hostility, and we'll talk more about that in a sec. But it was a notable feature of the magnificent temple built in Jerusalem by Herod the Great. The temple building itself was constructed on an elevated platform. Round it was the court of priests. East, excuse me, east of this was the court of Israel, and further east, the court of the women. These three courts for the priests, the laymen, and the laywomen of Israel, respectively, were all on the same elevation as the temple itself. From this level, one descended five steps to a walled platform, and then on the other side of the wall, 14 more steps to another wall. So talk about separation and you know, a clear distinction of I'm in and you're out. This was a spacious court running right around the temple and its inner courts, and from any part of it, the Gentiles could look up and view the temple, but were not allowed to approach it. They were cut off from it by the surrounding wall, which was a one and a half meter stone barricade, on which were displayed at inter intervals warning notices in Greek and Latin that said, trespassers will be executed. So can you sense the polarization that would be in the air? It's, 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 it's beautiful and wild what Paul does here. So it's into this context that Paul preaches the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension as a means to squelch the hostility and to bring near those who are alienated from God and from one another. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is that the gospel is multidimensional. And last week we talked about the, the horizontal, or no, sorry, the vertical element, that, that we were dead in our sin and trespasses, but in Christ we're made alive. We've been seated with him. We've been raised with him. But it has to go beyond just my own personal relationship with Jesus into how I interact with those around me, those my, my new brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when we read about the church that, that Jesus is forming, the bride that we are a part of, it doesn't just look like me or you. It says in Revelation that at the end of days, like the, the bride is going to be made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's going to be a, this beautiful, diverse, you know, experience expression of the nature and character of God. And so how do we live in that reality now? How do we live the, the gospel out on a horizontal level, having experienced, you know, this freeing gift of grace from Jesus that we've been made alive in him. And now we, we can live and move and have our being and all these beautiful truths. How do we play that out and live that out on a horizontal level? And again, we talk about this all the time. Everything God has done to us and for us, he now wants to do through us. So he has brought us near. He has made us alive. How do we do that with one another as the people of God? And so we have to deal with this sense of alienation and hostility between one another. So how do we live out the gospel of Jesus on the horizontal level is our question we're going to be kind of focusing on today. Or another question, how can we be the new humanity in spite of our differences, racial, economical, social, etc.? So we're going to break this down uh, as we go through our scripture together into three points. Um, what we once were, um, what Jesus has done, and how we live that out. So first of all, let's reread together now uh, verses 11 through 11 and 12. If you want to grab your Bible, awesome. And I'll read this. Ephesians 2, 11, 12. 
Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we see the first word there is therefore. So Paul is continuing his gospel ex explanation by teasing out the implications of the good news that we have been chosen, adopted, and sealed, that it doesn't stop there. So again, this whole idea that the gospel is multidimensional. We talked about the horizontal, the vertical element. Now let's talk about the horizontal element. So the first thing he instructs us to do, and interestingly, interestingly enough, this is the only command we see in the first three chapters of Ephesians is this word, remember. And he says it twice. And what, we're, what we just kind of read through is much like the beginning of chapter two, where Paul is giving this, this kind of gut punch reality check to the Gentiles. Like, remember where you came from. Remember that you were cut off. And, and we'll talk more about that in a sec. But it's kind of like, oh, right. Okay. So, and this is interesting when Paul's doing this. Like, Paul's doing this right off the hop. We got to remember, remember this. this. This must mean something to us. And what Paul isn't saying is, hey, I want you to kind of go and remember every awful thing you've ever done. And I want you to just kind of focus on those things. And just kind of just dwell there. I want you to think about that, like rubbing your face in your sin. It's more so to, the, the picture that comes to mind is keeping it in your rear view mirror. Like you remember where you came from and you celebrate that you're no longer there, that God has delivered you from that place, that he is bringing you into something new. You're journeying hopefully towards Jesus instead of away from Jesus. Keep that in your rear view mirror. Remember where you came from by looking at it in your rear view mirror. This, this produces humility in us so we can walk out the gospel on that horizontal level. Again, everything God has done to you and for you, he now wants to do through you. One pastor I listened to this week, Brian Loritz, talked about this whole idea of remembering um, where we came from and kind of the purpose of kind of looking back is, is sometimes the, the dark things make the, the bright things look even brighter. And he used the example of looking for diamonds for his wife's, his wife's um, not wives, wife's uh, engagement ring. And so when you, when the, the jeweler would bring out the diamonds, he wouldn't place it on the crystal clear glass underneath. He would place it on a black piece of velvet cloth to make the, the diamond shine even brighter. It's the same thing. The, the good news of the gospel is held up against this backdrop of what was before Jesus or before, before we knew Jesus. So what did this godless life look like that the Gentiles and Jews need to remember? For the Gentiles, first of all, it was Christless. Sheesh. Not good news. There was no savior or Messiah to hope for from their line. Uh, they were foreigners. They were excluded from God's covenant and kingdom. They weren't able to live under God's rule and reign or his authority. They were hopeless and godless. They didn't yet realize God's plan to include them. And this left them delusional and living lives as just happy pagans, you know, basically just indulging their flesh to the nth degree and kind of probably left with that feeling of, is this really it? You know, over and over and over again, they were hopeless and godless in this state. And for the Jews, they, they had become prideful in their spirituality. They had been become self-righteous and they'd lost, you know, their an original purpose. Even in, in as we've been reading through Genesis, God comes to Abraham and there's this purpose that, you know, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And the Jewish people that God had selected, they lost their vocation to be a light to the nations. They lost the plot. They become full of racism and pride and arrogance. 
So John Stott says this about these verses. So he says, there's lots of things we're told in scripture to remember, to forget, but there is one thing in particular, which we are commanded to remember and never to forget. This is what we were before God's love reached down and found us. So we're to remember that always and not forget that. For only if we remember our former alienation, as distasteful as some of it may be for, for us, shall we be able to remember the greatness of the grace which forgave, it, which forgave and is transforming us. So there's tons of stuff we're told to forget, but we're told to remember what we were before God's love reached down and found us. So let's go on to the second point. How is it possible to live out the gospel on a horizontal level then? What has Jesus done? He is our peace. So let's read verses 13 through 18. And much like the first 11 verses, there's this turn in the tide here where we read these two first words in 13. But now, but, or so you're going to remember the past, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who had made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. It's okay if you want to clap or say amen in your uh, living rooms or in your car right now if you're listening on the podcast, that is good news. But now the tide is turning, and what we see is Jesus' cross literally demolishes the dividing wall that was there, that we read about in the temple even, that clear distinction between Jew and Gentile, that there's the separation that needs to take place. Boom! Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, the good news of what he's done, the peace he's preached to us who are far off and the Jews who are near has brought us into this one new man, not two. Again, John Stott, this then was the achievement of Christ's cross. First, he abolished the law, its ceremonial regulations and moral condemnation as a divisive instrument separating men from God and Jews from Gentiles. Secondly, he created a single new humanity out of its two former deep divisions, making peace between them. Thirdly, he reconciled this new united humanity to God, having killed through the cross all the hostility between us. Christ crucified has thus brought us brought into being nothing less than a new united human race, united in itself and united to its creator. Whew, good news. He is our peace. And what we, what we learn in this, from that statement is that our peace is a person, that we can actually come to know peace. And so much of our anxiety, so much of our perpetuation of, of, of us and them type of thinking is that we haven't yet experienced peace ourselves. We still feel like there's hostility and, and enmity between God and us. And so all we can do is spew that on other people. But as we get to know Jesus as our peace, that we, we see that he has made a way for us back into relationship with the Father and understand the gospel on a vertical level, we're able to walk that out on a horizontal level. What we see in the gospel, in the incarnation, is, is that Jesus stepped into our alienation. He stepped into our sin. He, he who knew no sin became sin. He became an outsider so that we could become insiders. 
He preached to those who were far off and to those who were near. And in this process, he's making something. All things are summed up in him. Remember, he's, he's, everything is kind of coming into its conclusion in Jesus. He's forming something new, something whole, something complete. He has made the two groups one, a new humanity. And this is important for us to wrap our heads around, that the goal here isn't that Gentiles need to become more Jewish, but it's, some, it's that God, in, it, through Jesus, is making something altogether new. And we'll talk more about that, but just hold on to that thought, that in, in this old way of thinking, Gentiles assumed that they were excluded because of their immorality. There's no way God would let us in to be a part of his family, to be a part of his His. Uh, yeah, his family. And the Jews just assumed that they were included because of their cultural heritage and background. And in that, they became prideful and self-righteous. But here's the good news for the Gentiles. Your past does not disqualify you. Hopefully that's good news for some of you here this morning listening to this. Your past does not disqualify you. And for the Jews, your past doesn't pre-qualify you. There's, there's something to that for us to wrap our heads around. But this is what qualifies us, trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is the truth for us as the new humanity. This is what we trust in. You know, we don't trust in, in our past to either disqualify us or pre-qualify us. We trust in one thing, and that is Jesus' death and resurrection to qualify us. So what we see Jesus doing in making peace and in, in, in resolving our hostility and our alienation simultaneously, first of all, peace has to deconstruct something for it to be effective. And then secondly, we see that peace has constructed something of a new humanity. So peace has to deconstruct to be effective. What, what Jesus does, what his cross does, is it tears down the barriers or dividing walls of hostility. These were religious barriers. The Gentiles were excluded. This is cultural barriers that the Jewish people had all these rituals that, of course, the Gentiles were not allowed to be a part of. There were racial barriers. You know, it was all about being the part of, you know, and carrying the blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he also abolished the law of commandments and ordinances here. And this is this removal of the external or ceremonial law. Circumcision, material sacrifices, dietary regulations, rules about ritual cleanliness, Cleanness and uncleanness were removed in what Jesus had done. And in that space, um, we see that peace. So that's what has been deconstructed. He's deconstructed the dividing wall of hostility, and he has abolished the law of commandments and ordinances. And in its place, peace has constructed a new humanity, completely unlike what was before. Again, we talked about in the beginning, Paul didn't say, I'm going to go start a new Jewish church on this side of town, and then maybe on the south side of town, I'll start a new Gentile church, thus perpetuating this whole us and them idea just with a new face on it. No. What, what Jesus is doing, what, what Christ has done through his life, death, resurrection, essentially what's happening as the Jesus people are coming together in this body of Christ is being formed through the gospel, it's something new in an altogether different way. And so the Greek word here, there's two Greek words for new, but the one that's used is called kainos. But the word neos, N-E-O-S, is new in relation to time. So like the latest thing. So think about, you know, the, a 2022 um, Honda Civic or the 2021 MacBook Pro with the new Apple chip in it or the new Boeing 787 or whatever number the newest airplane is. That's neos. So it's new in relation to time. 
The word Paul uses here is kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, kainos. And this is new in kind. It literally means there's no category for it. It's more something along the lines of invention. So whereas Neos is a 2022 um, Honda Civic, Kainos is the first automobile. It's the Model T. Where Neos is a 2022 MacBook Pro, uh, Kainos is the first computer ever. Where Neos is uh, the newest 787, Kainos is, is the Wright brothers on Kitty Hawk discovering the gift of flight. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus, through what he's done, through his life, death, and resurrection, it doesn't resurrect our old deaths, like things that only bring more death. He does something altogether new, invents something completely of its own kind. And that's what we talk about and think about when we're talking about the church. It should look completely different than something else. It shouldn't just be the old thing with a new face on it, with a facelift or a new paint job. There's something altogether different that Jesus is getting at here. Where inequality before God is abolished. There's no 14 steps and then five steps and then this and that. There's a new unity in Christ through what he's done. We were all dead. We were all stuck in our sin and trespasses. We were all far off. He's brought us near. Our past doesn't disqualify us. Our past doesn't pre-qualify us. The only thing that qualifies us is faith in Jesus' death and resurrection. So this one new man, this new humanity, this kainos humanity, is what we have now become in Christ. So let's read more good news, verses 19 through 22 together. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Those of you who feel alienated and stuck out, like separated, the good news of the gospel is that you're no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow. In Christ, we have been brought near. When we were far off, we were Christless, foreigners, hopeless, and godless. Now we are in Christ, citizens of his kingdom, members of the family, the dwelling place of God. We are God full. Paul's vision of this kainos humanity of reconciled Jews and Gentiles, this third race, is grand indeed. The images used to express its grandeur, grandeur are unforgettable, and they are the following. The, the first thing he talks about is us being like a city. We are supernaturalized fellow citizens with the saints. We are a common people with a common language of the heart and common allegiances, goals, and destination. We're all under the kingship or rulership or lordship of Jesus. He's our king. So we're, we're, we're going after him. We're, we're living under the same authority together. We were aliens, but now we belong. And our citizen mean, citizenship means that, that we will rise ineluctably upward to our city. The second, it's like, very, it's like deepening degrees of intimacy. We're a part of the family. So profound is our reconciliation that we are brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers, members of the household of God. We have the same father. There's comfortable love among us, like sibling love that hopefully we'll learn how to practice and walk out. Sometimes it's not so bright, um, but there's a beautiful invitation there for us. And finally, the temple. 
Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The teaching of the apostles and prophets is the foundation. We are the living stones. God lives in us. And what we need to make sure, guys, moving forward as a community is that Jesus remains the chief cornerstone. That that's what we're building on is, is the apostles' teaching and the prophets' foundation. That doesn't become something like a social justice initiative or a shared hobby or that we all are young and have kids. Like that cannot be the foundation of our community. It needs to be Jesus Christ. And when, when that's the truth of what we're building on, that will attract and bring in a diverse group of people. But instantly, if our if our cornerstone is that we're all in our mid-30s and white and, you know, eat clean and, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's not a good thing. And I hope that, you know, you often hear that the church you are a part of ends up looking like its main leader. The the hope in that, I was talking to someone this, this past week about that, is that if, if this is true, that Jesus is the cornerstone of whatever we're going to be doing moving forward as a community, then everyone that comes into our church should reflect Jesus in its own way. They shouldn't look like me in their own way. They should look like Jesus. Hopefully that makes sense, makes sense to you. It made sense in my head. So how do we live this out as a new as the new humanity here in Alliston in 2020? In the beginning, um, this is not my example. I don't want to take credit for it. This is from Brian Loritz, that guy I was talking about before. So he's talking about how um, we, we talked earlier about how Jews and Gentiles existed essentially as like oil and water. And he was talking about, he's like, he said, I love mayonnaise. And the thing that's, that's beautiful about mayonnaise is that things that don't look like they should live in community, community together, live in community together. Oil and water and egg are the main ingredients of mayonnaise. Oil and water should not exist together. But when you can't mix together, but when you add this thing, this emulsifying agent, this egg, as the water begins to hang out the egg more and the oil begins to hang out the egg more, they begin to mix and they form this beautiful new thing. I mean, I think it's beautiful. All the Dutch people, I think, think it's beautiful. Most people, I think, hearing this will think it's beautiful. You, you end up with mayonnaise. And the takeaway there is that we have to stick close to Jesus. The more I hang out with Jesus and the more you hang out with Jesus, the more we'll, we'll be able to hang out together and exist in that, in that space of peace where there was hostility and, and of love, where that's actually the highest ethic. And I just thought that was a great example. I'm, I'm not doing it justice like he did, but think about that. Like we're, you know, maybe we're not actually supposed to get along in our, in our flesh. We won't get along in our flesh, but through what Jesus has done, as we spend more time with him, the oil and water begin to mix. And there's this whole new thing, this kinos thing that emerges. And as we think about the church actually being something that hopefully will, will provide sustenance and hope for people around us. I think often what we're serving people is this sloppy mix of oil and water and egg. Like it's like we're trying to nourish people with this disgusting, gross mixture rather than letting Jesus actually be the thing that emulsifies us and brings us together and, and serves this, this rich, creamy, beautiful thing to the world around us. Guys, we have to stop settling for the old way. We can't, we can't put a, a facelift on old us and them thinking. We can't do it. Like, like we talked about, there's this kinos thing that the gospel produces that we have to lean and press hard into that, that, that there has to be a way, um, that, that, that as we move forward in understanding the gospel, thing, things that look like the world are no longer really a part of what we're doing, you know? And so, it's sad to think about there are just as many isms, racism, sexism, ageism, all the things 
in the church as there are in the world. And we're offering no hope for, for those who already feel like outsiders if we're just going to perpetuate those same things. So as we begin to understand the gospel on a vertical level and practice living it out on a horizontal level, we have to, to contend for and not settle for just a facelift on the old way. But we have to contend for something altogether new, trusting that the Spirit is going to do something in us and through us that's going to reflect God's heart for his people and for his church. As we are gospel-centered, as Jesus is the cornerstone, as we remember where we came from, as we allow him to be our peace, the one that's going to emulsify the oil and water in us. Like we have to contend for that and not just settle for a better-looking oil or a better-looking water than was before. This requires me, this requires you to get over ourselves. This means that there's going to be times in the future, you know, three years from now, I might say something that offends you. Tomorrow I might say something that offends you. You might say something that offends me. We have to talk it out. We have to get along. I remember being a kid and my mom, you know, had this line where my brothers and I would fight and we would, she would be like, hey boys, you know what? You need to work it out because you're stuck together forever. You are brothers forever. You can't change that. So work it out. And that's that's the ethos we need to have. It's like, no, we're here together. We're, we're practicing. We're following the way of Jesus together for the renewal of our town. We have a responsibility to work this out, to talk this through. And we have not done a good job of that in the past. And again, that's just, you know, putting a facelift on the old way or the way of the world that we don't want to settle for anymore. We have to be committed to one another. We have to be able to contend and fight things out and work things through. And that's not always easy or comfortable or desirable, but that's, again, that's not the point. There's a way in which God is using these situations to shape us and form us into Jesus, to shape us and form us into this new humanity. And this stirs me up. I don't know if you can sense it. I'm, 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 I'm feeling like God is, is really, you know, de- dealing with stuff in my own heart. That, that needs to be dealt with. And I'm hopeful that he's doing the same in you, that we are going to learn how to practice this and walk this through together as a community. We have a job to do. You know, God has prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in them. And part of that is, is getting along with one another. It's, it's being united as a community here in Alliston. It actually matters. It may seem like it doesn't matter, but it does matter in the grand scheme of things because how we interact with one another, how we deal with conflict, how we walk out our newfound peace where there was hostility and our newfound um, belonging where there was alienation actually reflects to the world around us. And Jesus talks about this all the time. You know, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we got to, we got to take this seriously. We got to take this to heart. So what we're going to do to close is uh, I'm going to leave you guys to take communion together with your family or whoever you're with, maybe you're by yourself, that's also okay. We have a communion at home guide. And I want you to know that we're taking this together. Those of us who are listening to this as it premieres, we're doing this together. And if not, you're still, you're joining us in spirit later on when you listen to it or whatever you have, when you have time to do it. But what we're going to do as we come together to take communion is uh, we come together to remember our savior. You know, one of the gifts about being a family is sharing meals together. This is our family meal is, is as we take the bread and the cup, we remember our Savior. We remember Jesus. We remember, right, that we that He has brought us from a, a, a far place. We take time to remember where He brought us from as we confess our sins to Him afresh. Then we celebrate what He's done for us through His death and resurrection, that He has made peace 
with God and through that with one another, we can have peace. And what we do is we walk that out together as a family of diverse followers of Jesus for God's glory and for our good. And so I want to encourage you, if you're there with your family, whoever, just to use the communion at home guide that we have there and just take some time, reflect on what we've just been talking about, confess to God where you've you settled and you haven't lived in a place of, of, of sharing the peace that you have and of making people feel like they belong. You've only made them feel more excluded or whatever that might look like, whatever the spirit is, is stirring in you. I want to encourage you to lean into that. But let's, as we take the cup and we remember Jesus's body broken for us, let's celebrate the good news that he has made a way for us back into relationship with God. And as we drink the cup together, that we remember that his blood was shed for us and that through the cross, he, he tore down, he destroyed the wall of hostility and he removed that old way of the ceremonial law of doing this and that to, to gain cleanliness, but that we're washed clean by the blood of Jesus together. So we celebrate that together in unity. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I pray that God does a mighty work in us as a community, that in the days to come, that our community would be incredibly diverse, that it would be a beautiful representation of um, a foretaste of the, the things to come in the new heavens and the new earth, where every tribe and every tongue and every nation is represented. Our communities are changing, and that's a good thing. May we, may we lean into that. May we, may we pursue, like Paul did, where did the Jews worship and where did the Gentiles worship so we can go and speak the good news of Jesus to those who don't yet know him. Father, make us one by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unite us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you guys.